Well, how are we doing, EV Free? We good? Yeah, come on now. Yeah, there we go. Oh, so good to be back with you. It has been about a year ago since I was here, uh, just before Easter last year. And, and uh, we live over in Huntington Beach now, so I've been able to follow you even more closely this year and what's going on around here and all that God's doing through you. And it's just a huge privilege to celebrate this Easter weekend with you. And I also, you know, I know we're celebrating this weekend, but God's been doing a lot of cool things around here in the last few weeks and month as well. And I just want to say this to you, uh, Evie Free, are, are you guys totally fired up that God has brought Darren and his family here to, to Evie Free to help lead? Is that cool? Yeah. Man, I tell you what, I'm so excited and I can't wait to, to just watch and, and see what God does with you all and in you and through you in this community and your families and your kids and your grandkids in, in the next few weeks and months and, and years. It's going to be awesome. And so I'm honored to be here and be a part of this weekend with you. And, and here's what I thought we would do uh, today. I thought we'd spend like the next uh, half hour uh, just studying Jesus. How about that? Uh, we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about his life that he lived on this earth and uh, his death and also his resurrection. We're going to take a look at what he's done and how he lived for us on this earth and gave his life for us. And to get us all headed in the same direction, I want us to read a section of scripture from the Bible in Luke chapter 24. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone or a tablet or however you locate scripture these days, Luke chapter 24 Starting in verse 1, this will get us all headed in the right direction. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, pause there for just a moment. Why would these ladies take a bunch of spices to the tomb? The reason they do that, the reason they took spices to the tomb is because they believed that the person who was dead, Jesus, would still be dead. That's why they took spices. They were going there to continue to take care of this burial process. They expected that. We're in this series around here at EV Free called With Great Expectation. We've been talking about the expectations of different people in the story of Jesus in the story of Easter. These ladies and the people in this first century, they expected him to still be dead. That's why they took the spices. But it continues on and says they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But these men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you when he was still with you in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And then crucified. And then on the third day, be raised Again, and then they remembered his words. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the truth that it contains for our lives, and especially about this event of the resurrection. God, I pray today that whether we've been in church for a whole lot of our lives or, or maybe we've been in church just a little bit, we're just coming back to church after a long time. God, I pray today you would surprise us with your power and your presence as we study your word. I pray that we would learn something about your son Jesus today that maybe we didn't know, something that we can take with us into this week of our life and share with people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, 
Everyone says? Amen. Amen. Now, I would suggest to you all today that uh, the thing that makes Jesus and Christianity so unique and utterly different than any other faith or religion in the world is not just the teaching of Jesus. You know the teaching of Jesus, or you know some of it. You know it's pretty amazing. It's, it's revolutionary. All kinds of radical teachings from Jesus that are just fantastic. But I, I'm telling you, it's not just the teaching of Jesus that separates him from other leaders and faiths and religions of this day. It's not just his life It's not just his death or his burial, but I'm telling you, it's the resurrection of Jesus that separates him from every other person and every other leader that's ever been on this planet. The fact that he rose again that we're celebrating today. I mean, think about it this way. Every other religion of the world has had a leader, a great leader oftentimes, who inspired people. And they lived, and then they died, and they're buried. Consider this, Confucius, the founder of Confucianism, he died at 72 years old, he's buried in China. Buddha, founder of Buddhism, died at 83 years old, he's buried in Nepal, near the Himalayan mountains. Muhammad, founder of Islam, died in 632, he's buried in Medina, in Saudi Arabia. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, He was killed by a mob in Carthage, Illinois in 1844. He's still buried in Illinois. You can go to Illinois, you can see his grave, you can see his remains, he's there. Charles Russell, founder of Jehovah's Witness, died of a heart attack on a train in 1916. He's buried in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. L. Ron Hubbard, founder of Scientology, died of a stroke in 1986. He's buried just up the coast in San Luis Obispo. And we could go on and on and on today. But the fact is, friends, you can go to any grave of any founder of any religion in this world, and guess what? Their bodies are still there. But I'll tell you this, you could get on an airplane if you wanted to, and you could fly over to Israel, and you could go to the outskirts of the old city, and there you would find a tomb. It's the tomb of Jesus, and guess what? It's empty. It's empty. That's good news, right? Yeah, there we go. That's exciting. In fact, listen to this. I'm pretty sure it's the only place in the world where people travel somewhere to see what's not there. Right? He's not there. Yeah, he wasn't there last week. No, he's still not there. I guess he's not going to be. He's not there. The tomb of Jesus is empty. And I'll promise you this, these Roman leaders in this very first century, the Jewish religious leaders, they would have loved to disprove the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus. And and think about it. They could have. They could have easily done that. All they would have had to do to put a stop to Christianity is just what? Present a body. Present a body. If they, if Jesus' detractors could have taken people somewhere to some grave, to some tomb and said, look, 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 here he is. He's right here. He didn't rise again. His body's right here. He didn't come up from the grave. If they could have done that, it would have been all over. Right then and there. No more Easter. But guess what? They did not do that because they could not do that. They did not because they could not. 
Jesus is alive. Would you say that with me out loud? Jesus is alive. He's alive. If you've been around here at EV Free the last couple of weeks, you know that we're in this series and we're talking about uh, with great expectation. And Darren has done an incredible job of leading us through some of the expectations of Christ and some of the expectations of the crowd. And today we're going to continue this on and kind of wrap it up on this Easter weekend. We're going to talk about the expectation of heaven. As Jesus came down here to this earth, as he lived his life and gave his life for us, what did that really look like from the vantage point of heaven, from heaven's perspective? Luckily, we have a glimpse into that. In Philippians chapter 2 in the Bible, we get to see Jesus coming from heaven to earth and then back to heaven. And that's where I want us to spend a little bit of time studying. If you have that Bible there, smartphone, tablet, whatever, Philippians chapter 2. Let me read just a little bit of this and, and then we'll go back and kind of pull it apart and study what Jesus did in his life and giving himself for us. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Your attitude should be the same of that as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now let's pause there for just a moment. We'll get to verse nine as we wrap things up in our study today, but let's go back to verse six. If you're taking notes, if you like to take notes, if you like to underline things or write things in your Bible, this will be a great time to do it. Verse six, let's go back and see what Jesus did for us. It says, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus held everything that God did in his hand. But the thing that blows me away is that he didn't hold it, he didn't grasp it too tightly. Jesus was willing to let go of his grasp on heaven to come down here to this earth. And and I promise you this, this earth that we live on, this earth was not Jesus' ultimate vacation destination. Okay, I'm I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you, Jesus wasn't sitting around in heaven, you know, pulling all the angels around that heavenly Starbucks at the corner of Pearl Street and Gold. He wasn't pulling all the angels around saying, hey, 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 listen, you guys want to hear my dream? You want to know my dream? Here's my dream. If I could be born down there, like in a cold stable, that would be so cool. I would love that. If I could hang around some stinky fishermen, I would love to hang around some stinky fishermen. If I could fast for like 40 days, I mean, if I could just starve for like 40 days, I mean, how cool would that be? I promise you, that is not what Jesus is thinking. And as you come down to the end of his life, as you come to this passion week that we are celebrating during this week, I promise you, Jesus wasn't saying, you know what, I can't wait to be mistreated. Can't wait to get down there and be mocked. Being mocked is so good. Be belittled, beaten, betrayed falsely accused, be abandoned by everybody. Listen, you know this, right? This place was not Jesus' ultimate vacation destination. But you know what I think? And I believe this with all my heart. You'll never convince me otherwise of this. I believe that Jesus, because he was God, was able to look like 2,000 years into the future you know what he saw? He saw you. He saw you. And I know 
When I say you, when there's a room full of people like this, thousands of people, you, you always think I'm talking about like the you sitting next to you. No, I mean you. He saw you. And so he did the only thing he could do. He let go of his grasp on heaven so he could come here to try and grab a hold of you. This is what Jesus looks like. This is what Easter, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection looks like from heaven's perspective, him letting go of everything in heaven to come here to give his life, to grab a hold and save you. And for some of you today, you may need to strap into your seats. Some of you here for the very first time that that God is desperately, madly, deeply, passionately, unconditionally in love with you. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you will do. There's nothing that you can do to make God stop loving you. There's just not. And again, I know as I, as I say that, some of you have heard that so many times. They, oh yeah, God loves me, send his son for me and all that and celebrate Easter and all these other holidays and Christmas and things like that. You've heard that so many times, but you start to kind of talk back to the preacher in your head. You ever talk back to the preacher in your head? You ever argue with the preacher in your head? You're always gonna win that argument. I can see the little bubbles going up all around the room. You're doing it. And some of you are thinking, Todd, Todd, here's the thing, that's great, and I love the message, and I love God loves me, and I love that he sent his son for me, and all these things, but here's, here's what some of you are thinking, I guarantee you right now, you're thinking, Todd, that, that's great, but here's the thing. If you knew me, if you knew my life, you wouldn't be saying all this. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that God's love is just so free to me, and he just gave his son for me, and if you knew what I've done, Todd, if you knew what I'd done, Todd, if you knew what I was doing, if you knew my habits, if you knew my lifestyle, the lifestyle I was living, you, you wouldn't just say, and here's what I want you to know, don't miss this. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing or what you will do. There is nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. Amen? It's just true. You may have been around EV Free for a lot of years, or this may be the first Easter celebration service you've been to in a long time. I just want you to know that God loves you. Sent his son for you. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But there's nothing we can do to make him stop. I love how Max Lucado says this. He's a great pastor and author down in Texas. He says, God's love never ceases. Though we spurn him, ignore him, reject him, despise him, disobey him, he will not change. Our evil cannot diminish his love, and our goodness cannot increase his love. Our faith does not earn it, I love this, any more than our stupidity jeopardizes it. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise God for that. God doesn't love us less if we fail or more if we succeed. God's love never ceases. God is absolutely infatuated, head over heels, in love with you. And that's why Jesus let go of his grip on heaven so he could come here and try and grab a hold of you. Philippians continues on and tells us more about his life. He says, but in verse seven, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. You ever read through parts of the Bible and you start thinking, well, how did that happen? I mean, how did God do that? I mean, how did he make that? How did he create that? How did he become human? I mean, how does, how does God 
creator God, big G God, how does he become a human being? How does he get himself in his divinity into humanity? How does that happen? Maybe you've thought about that before in your life. And, and if you have, this is your lucky weekend because I'm going to tell you. You want to know how God did it? You want to know how he did it? I have no idea how he did it. I have no idea how he did it. But I do know why he did it. I don't know how God did what he did in Jesus. But I'm absolutely certain as to why he did what he did. And what I wanna do for just the next few moments is I wanna try and impart to you some of that certainty of what Jesus did with his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection because who, who knows, maybe in your life you've been wondering that. You've been asking questions about God and why is this, you know, is this all really legit? And you wanna know why God did what he did or maybe even later on today you're gonna be getting together with some friends to eat some neighbors, maybe your kids, maybe your grandkids. And you're going to want to impart to them. Here's why God, listen, listen, here's why God did what he did in Jesus. I want to give you that certainty that you can take home with you today. And, and to do that, I want to just tell you a story. Tell, tell you a quick story here about uh, a king. And this king lived several hundred years ago, Okay. And uh, it, was a, it was a good king, an amazing king, and he had this huge kingdom. And every night he kind of had this rhythm that when he got done eating, he would go out on his balcony and he would uh, look out over his kingdom, all the acreage, all the servants, all the peasants, and he would just kind of take it in. And so he's out there on his balcony, and, and what happened is he began to notice certain people coming in and out, and, and you know, it's the end of the day, and they're all dirty and nasty from working, and, and, and he begins to notice more and more this one peasant lady, and she lived maybe just 100 yards or so from his castle and in this little mud hut, and he kept watching her come in, and, and as days went by, he, his heart kind of began to grow towards this young lady, this peasant lady, this servant. She's dressed in rags. She's all nasty, but his heart begins to grow towards her. He can't quit thinking about her. And so finally, one evening after dinner, he goes up on the rooftop and he invites some of his advisors up to the rooftop with him. And he says, here's the deal. You guys aren't gonna believe this, but uh, you see everybody coming in here and, and you see this one lady, see her walking down here. And man, I, I, I don't know how to say this, but I think I love her. I think I've fallen in love with her. You guys got to help me know what to do. I need her to be my queen. I need her to be my bride, but I don't know how to do it. And here's what happens. One of his advisors pipes up and says, here's all you do. You just declare it. You're the king. You have all the power. Just declare that she's going to be your queen. Just command her to be your queen. Do your ring or a letter or something like that. And the king thinks to himself, you know what? I could do that. I have all the power in all the kingdom. I can just declare her that she is my queen and, it, and that would be that. But then he starts to say, but you know what? If I did that, how would I know if she really loved me or I was just commanding her to love me? That, that won't work. A few more days go by and he's up there. He's watching this lady. His heart is falling more and more in love with her. And so he invites his advisors one evening back up onto the rooftop and says, listen, you, you got to help me out here. This is crazy. I've got to be with her. And one of his other advisors says, here's what you do. I've got it. This, this will work. Here's what you do. Ladies love gifts. I thought I'd get an amen from that, ladies. That was, that, that was weak. This, this is your cue. I'm, I'm just going to say it again and feel free. Okay, here we go. Ladies love gifts. 
Amen. There, 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 there we go. They do. And, and so here's what you do. You just buy her. So get her all kinds of new clothes and get her a great place to stay and get her all kinds of great food and get her like, you know, a brand new like Mercedes Benz chariot and, and get her just all this super cool stuff and just kind of bless her like crazy. And the king thinks, you know what? I could do that. I could totally do that. I have all the resources in all the kingdom. I could just, I could shower her with blessings. But then he begins to think, you know, but if I did that, how would I know? If, if she really loved me or just all the blessings that I'm giving to her, it's not going to work. So a few more days go by and the king knows, totally knows what he has to do. So one morning, just as the sun is coming up in his kingdom, the king goes to the back of his castle, one of the back doors of the castle where all the servants are coming into work, where all the peasants are coming into work. He goes to this back door of his castle And he takes off his kingly robe, lays it on the ground, takes his scepter, lays it down, takes off his huge majestic crown that he loves to wear around, and he sets that crown down on the ground. And then he picks up some of the rags that the servants wear and begins to put on some of these rags and some of these clothes. And then he walks out the back of the castle into the field. You see, here's what happened. The king became just as ragged as the one he loved. It was the only way, right? It was the only way to truly be with her. It's pretty romantic, isn't it? Pretty romantic story. I know right now probably some of the ladies sitting in here are going, yes, I love that. That's romantic. Tell us more about the king. I mean, did they get married? How many kids do they have? I need to know all this. It's pretty romantic. But does it also sound familiar? It should. In the Bible, in Isaiah chapter 53, the last part of verse two, it says, he, speaking of Jesus, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He didn't have any of that. Which is ironic, isn't it? Think this is crazy. Because when Jesus is in heaven, all he has is beauty. All he has is glory. All he has is honor. All he has is fame. All he has is majesty. But as he comes here, there's none of that. Took it all off. He laid it down. It says there, it says there's nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Here's what happened. Our majestic king, Jesus, became just as ragged as the ones he loved. Us. It was the only way. It was the only way. Continues on in Philippians. Verse eight. Takes us to where we are now in this passion week. And it says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know that Jesus didn't come to this earth to die of old age, right? Jesus did not come to this earth uh, to die of some sickness. He didn't come to this earth to die, you know, in his sleep. Jesus came to this earth to die in a way that no one wants to die. He had an appointment with the cross. And again in Isaiah Chapter 53, starting in verse 4, it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. 
And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Everybody say wounds. Wounds. You've maybe heard this before, heard somebody preach this before, seen it on a social media before. By his wounds, we are healed. But let that just marinate on that today. By his wounds, by his beating, by that we are healed. We're all like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. He had an appointment with the cross to come and live for us, but also die for us and give his life for us. Several years ago, me and my family were living uh, up in Los Angeles County, San Fernando Valley area, and uh, my kiddos were younger. My daughter, Ruby, was just little, you know, barely getting into elementary school, first, second grade kind of thing. We've got a picture, I think, of it to show her there. Yeah, she, she was a little stinker, I guarantee it, uh, kind of a rascal. She's in college now, and she's still quite a rascal, even in college. But when she was a little girl like this, she was just little, and I don't know if this was the best dad move I've ever made, but I decided to take my little girl to a passion play. You know what a passion play is? It's, it's one of these big productions that shows the last week in the life of Jesus, and it usually has a huge orchestra and all kinds of actors and sound effects, you know, and live animals and that sort of thing. So we go to this church that has just like this HD, amazing, incredible live passion play, San Fernando Valley. And, and so we're there and uh, we're in the very back of the room and I take my daughter Ruby and I stand her on one of the back seats and then I stand around behind her and I'm grabbing onto her shoulders the whole time. And it begins, you know, with this huge orchestra, all these people coming onto stage, all these animals everywhere, and my daughter Ruby is just soaking it up. It continues on, and you see Jesus coming into town on the donkey, and, and he comes right into the auditorium. Jesus rides into the auditorium on a donkey, and they're laying down palm leaves and stuff like that. And my daughter Ruby has heard this story, but she sees Jesus, she's like, that's, that's Jesus in the San Fernando Valley. He's here with us right now. So she's just like, you know, wide eyes, soaking it all up. And, and then things get a little bit tougher and more somber and more dark as we go to the upper room. And she watches that last supper. And, and then you go to the garden and Jesus is betrayed. And, and the soldiers come and grab Jesus and they begin to beat him. And it looks like there's blood going across his back. And I can feel her shoulders just beginning to tense up. And then it goes all the way to where they put Jesus on the ground and they start ramming the spikes into him on the cross. And through the sound system of the church, it's just deafening. It's just loud. And, and then they begin to lift Jesus up. And as the orchestra hits this huge crescendo, they drop Jesus down into the earth. And, and he cries out and he's hanging on the cross and he's trying to breathe. And, and my daughter's just soaking all this up, you know. And then he goes, to the grave and, and then there's all kinds of sound effects and he comes back to life and the resurrection happens. It's amazing. And as soon as this is done, I kind of yank my daughter out of the seat and we, as soon as it's over, we head out into the parking lot and I'm holding on to her hand and she's holding on to mine. And I say, Ruby, that was kind of scary, wasn't it? And she kind of looks at me like, well, I don't know. I, yeah. 
kind of almost unmoved. And for the next couple of weeks, I keep checking in on her because I'm thinking, this was a powerful deal. Is she okay? And for a couple of weeks, she's fine. And then about two weeks later, she's driving in the car. She's not driving. She's little. But she's, sorry. She's riding in the car with my wife, Renee. And uh, she's in the little back car seat. And all of a sudden, just out of the blue, she starts to say, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Which I know is how a lot of people feel on the freeways in Los Angeles. Uh, She's little, so she doesn't get all that. She'll she'll learn that later, right? But so she's just screaming out, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. And she won't quit screaming. So my wife, Renee, literally has to pull over on the 118 freeway, pull over to the side and say, Ruby, Ruby, what's wrong? Are you okay? I don't want to die, I don't want to die. And, And Renee, in a moment of wisdom, says, Ruby, when we die, we get to go be in heaven with God. And Ruby says, yeah, 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 but, but, how long will I have to be up there? And Renee says, oh, Ruby, you're going to be in heaven. I'm going to be in heaven with God and with his son Jesus forever and ever and ever. And Ruby says, no, 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 no. Not how long will I have to be in heaven. How long do I need to be on that cross? You see, for all my years as a dad, I'd been teaching my two little kiddos, Ruby and Cole, that the way you and I get to heaven is through the sacrifice of Jesus. By the cross of Jesus. That's what takes us to heaven and his giving his life for us and the cross. And we talk all about that and the cross. And so my little girl had thought for that whole two weeks, bless her heart, that that's what I'm gonna have to do too. I'm gonna have to go through that cross like Jesus. And, and, and Renee says to her right there in the car, she says, oh, Ruby, Ruby, listen, Ruby. You don't have to go to the cross in order to get to heaven. Jesus went to the cross for you, so you don't have to. Amen? And listen, Evie Free, I'm just here to proclaim to you this weekend that you do not have to go to the cross to get to heaven. Jesus has already done that for you. He gave his life to save and rescue your life. That's the story of this Easter season. Philippians 2 goes on in verse 9, and it talks about what happened after that and him being resurrected from the grave. It says in verse 9, it starts out and says, therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to say, what's the word therefore? Therefore. (laughs) Right? Why why is that there? What's that there for? Right? And so when you're studying the Bible, that's what you ask. And in this case, the reason the word therefore is there is to point us backwards. It says, therefore, because Jesus let go of his grasp on heaven, because he became a humble servant, because he became obedient to death, even death on the cross, therefore, because of all of those things that we've already studied for the last 25 minutes, because of all of that, God didn't leave him in the grave, but he brought him back to life, it says, and he exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him a name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus. Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? That is good news. Jesus is alive. Would you say that with me again? Jesus is alive. And one more time in a huge way, Jesus is alive. And I promise, thank you. That was beautiful, young lady. He's alive, and I promise you this. If we could see beyond who we are in our humanness, and we could see into the heavenly realms and the 
things that are going on around us that we don't see, I promise what we would realize is this. We would realize that even right now, Jesus has let go of his grasp and he's reaching out to you. He's reaching out to you to rescue you and to save you. And the question is, will you reach out to him? Will you reach out to Jesus on a day like this and accept him as your Lord and your Savior? Will you say, you know what, I believe that, Todd. I believe everything that we've studied, that he came, that he gave his life, that he came back from the grave. I believe he's the only one to ever do that, and I want to reach out to him. Will you do that today? I know that some of you have reached out to Jesus in your life. You've accepted him. You've given your life to him. You're living for him. You've been baptized into him, all these things. And you know what? That, that maybe happened when you were a little kiddo or maybe you were junior high, high school or 40 or 50 or 70 years old or whatever. You've accepted Jesus in your life and it changed your eternal zip code. But I also know this. In a room this size with all these people on Easter weekend, there's a whole lot of you who have not accepted Jesus into your life. And you've been around Easter and you've been around all these holidays and you've been around, you know, people teaching and things like that and, and, you, and you love it, but you just kind of, oftentimes you kind of sit here. This is just kind of what you look like, whether it's at work when somebody's talking about Jesus or whether it's when you get together with your family at family reunions or even on a weekend, you kind of sit here and you're, you're, this is kind of your posture. Yeah, you know, you kind of have your arms crossed. I get it. Yeah, it's good. And you know what I've been praying? I've been praying this for the last four or five weeks every morning in my quiet time. So I'm reading my Bible. I've, I've just been praying this. I've been praying that maybe this would be the day for some of you when you just begin to uncross your arms and you just begin to reach out and say, I don't even know exactly what it means or how to do it, but I know I need Jesus. I know I need him to be my savior and my king. And I've been praying that some of you would reach out to him today for the first time and begin a new adventure in life with Jesus. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray for all of us and then the band is gonna come and they're gonna sing a couple of just incredible songs. And what I wanna ask you to do in these last few moments of this Easter celebration, I wanna ask you as we're singing to just think, especially if you've never reached out to Jesus, I wanna ask you to just be thinking, how do I do that? God, can I do that? God, I reach out to you today. Maybe you could just bow your head or maybe you could just look at those words and you could just say in your heart of hearts, God, I need you. I need Jesus in my life. God, I believe in your son. I believe that he lived and died and lived again. And I'm reaching out to you and I want you to know as soon as you start reaching out to him, he will reach out to you. Take these next couple moments as we sing these songs to let your heart draw close to him. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for this Easter celebration and weekend. This time where we can come and sing these awesome songs that just recalibrate us and point our hearts and our affection, our focus back to you. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the Bible that it's just so practical and, and relevant for our lives today. It gives us such good wisdom on how to live. It gives us such clear insight into what you've done on our behalf. We praise you for that. And God, I pray right now for any single person in this room who has their arms crossed 
God, I pray today that they would start to unfold them and they might even find themselves reaching out to you. And as they do, they would feel you reaching out to them and they would learn what it means to live with you in their life. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this Easter weekend, for this study. Thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray and that we sing these songs today. In Jesus' name, amen.